Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, hola. Welcome to Hello Latino. It's your girl, Odalis Jasmine, and today's guest is Alejandra Gonzalez, a proud Latina who was born in Bolivia and immigrated to the U.S. with her immediate family at the age of 10. She talks about her immigration story, loss, first-gen pressures, and even talks about discovering her Incan identity. Shout out to Las Mujeres de Cochabamba. A little background, Alejandra is a marketing professional for a large tech company in Silicon Valley, and she's completely obsessed with skincare. She currently is working on turning her obsession into a company, Glaze Skin, which caters to minorities, specifically in the Latin and African American community. O sea, prepárense por esta odisea, okay? <laughs> Disfruten. Yeah, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited to have you. Oh my God. Shout out to Sarah, our Gemini friend who is, as Alejandra says, the Leo whisper. All her friends <laughs> be Leos. <laughs> um, but I'm super excited to have you and to have some representation. You're going to talk about where you come from in a sec, but I want to start with just saying welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I've heard fantastic things about you. And I love your podcast, by the way. It's super ah. inspiring. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening. Day one, day one. Um, <laughs> but I want to start with, again, the question. You, you've heard these podcast episodes, so you know how to start. But it's how do you identify and why? Well, I identify myself as Latina. Um, but if we want to get really down to the to the specifics, I am 100% Bolivian. Um, I was born in Cochabamba, Bolivia, and I love it. I love everything about my country. It's very unknown. <laughs> Not a lot of people know about yeah. Bolivia. Um, I'm usually the first person that they meet from that specific country, which is it's it's fun, right? Because then I kind of, but it's. I was also talking to Sarah about this. I was telling her that it's great but it, it's a lot of pressure, I feel mm -hmm. like, because I've, <laughs> it's Girl. like, I rep, right? Like, the, don't you feel the weight of your entire country on your shoulders? Yes. Someone... <laughs> it's so much pressure, so much pressure. <laughs> I feel that. Yeah, it's like, I remember when I was younger, when I, when we first moved um, to the United States, uh, the pressure was to just not be an like a statistic, right? You don't want to mm -hmm. be a bad like oh, because you know, as Hispanic people, we we have a lot of negative stereotypes. Um, hella, hella, <laughs> yeah, hella stereotypes, and they're not good. <laughs> I wish they were. Yeah. Uh, so my main focus was always to just, like, just prove that 
that no, you're absolutely incorrect. Like just because you know mm-hmm. you you watch the movie, which unfortunately <laughs> aren't the best sources of you know information, doesn't mean that we're all <laughs> we're all like that. Oh my gosh, girl, a hundred percent. And I was just talking about this yesterday. I was like. Someone was like, oh, like, you know, if you look at Netflix, like how many of the the movies that pop up, pop up on your screen are about, you know, the Latino community or represent Latinos? And I'm like, well, even deeper than that, like how many of them are not about narcos and how many of them are not about like these type of like drug wars and all these like chapel? Like I hella see chapel all over Netflix. And I'm like, really? Like, that's it? <laughs> I'm like, right? there's more stories. <laughs> right (laughs) we have so many negative statistics against us and it's like and it's not only what i'm feeling is like it's not only the pressure of you representing bolivia but it's also like you're also trying to prove that we can do better we are better we you're like there's like a double whammy right like you're like not trying to just represent your country but you're also trying to represent your community and do the best that you can so you don't become a statistic it's like pressure all around (laughs) <laughs> it is. It really, really is. And, you know, I think the 2020 has been quite the year for many reasons. Um, and one of them in particular would be just the, the light that has been shed on systematic racism, right? And how mm-hmm. it's affected um, our African-American brothers, right? And sisters the most. But also we, we get a really, a really bad brunt of it too. Um mm-hmm. So I think it's been it's been quite an eye-opening experience for a lot of people. I know for for me it's been interesting to see, you know, who's where, <laughs> whose side you're on essentially. <laughs> um, oh man, breaking hella <laughs> friendships, family relationships, you're like, "Bye." <laughs> yes, girl, and I'm like, "Wait, I thought you were cool." Lies. Yeah. Um, Lies. Yeah, <laughs> it was all a sham. Um, but yeah, girl, it's, it's been, it's been an interesting year. And and I think this year has been, has been really, really stressful for all of us, but also has been extremely enlightening, right? Because a lot of people are actually opening their eyes to really what's going on. And it's been freeing for a lot of us. I feel like, especially for, for people like myself, right? Like I came here when I was 10, um, and that's a that's a hard age to come to another country and you know not speak English and and essentially walk into a classroom and everybody speaks English and you're just there like oh snap like I went from being able to talk and and articulate my thoughts and and actually you know like when I was in Bolivia uh, we were pretty well off so I went to a really good school um, and I was always kind of on top of everything right I was in Bolivia they have this system where they kind of rank you by how well you're doing in, in school. And it's like a very oh, really? well-known. Yeah, girl, like they, they put the pressure on you quickly. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if either if you're like the first one, the second one, or the third one in the class based on performance. And, you know, I was always, you know, in one of those positions. So coming here and not being able to speak, it was very humbling because because <laughs> you're starting from the bottom right yeah and at 10 too what's yeah, that like fifth grade yeah yeah it was oh. fifth grade. <laughs> wow <laughs> well let's okay well let's talk about that let's like dive deep into your story so let's talk about the beginning like do you remember your childhood in bolivia like let's talk about <laughs> that and then talk about your immigration story 
Yeah, for sure. So my childhood was awesome. <laughs> like it was, it was very happy, very go lucky. Um, my dad uh, was basically my favorite person. I had a fantastic family unit. My mom, uh, you know, she was, she was, you know, kind of like the very giving, gentle Latina mom that, you know, you know, if you, if you have a Latina mom, they're very open and genuine and kind and like, you know, toma esto, lleva esto, trae mm-hmm. esta persona. You know, it's very inviting, right? Yeah. Um, my dad was also like that. He was very, very kind, very genuine. If he could help anyone, he would. Um, so I was raised in a very loving and caring environment. Um, like I said, it, we were we were pretty well off. Um, my dad worked really hard, <laughs> so did my mom. Um, and my dad went through a lot of stuff, but you know, he was a a very uh, I will never give up type of person. So. He uh, he made sure that he he got to the top, whatever, however he could, right? Um, and I come from a family family of hustlers. Like we work really really hard, Stop. and my <laughs> <laughs> and my brother, my brother, uh, he's he's a very intelligent, smart kid. So I know, like when we were little, we would kind of go to the front yard and make up games. And this was this was before the internet, right? Or any like Game Boy or whatever, like at the time, obviously I'm from, from a third world country. Like we didn't have that, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. we had, we had books in our imagination. So we made up a lot of games. Um, it was a very great, happy time. I don't remember ever being uh, upset or anything like my country is a very uh, unstable country. Like I said earlier, it's a third world country. Right. But I wasn't exposed to that. You know, I wasn't exposed to any of, of the instability or political shenanigans that were going on at the time because I was a kid and my parents were very focused on ensuring that, you know, my my childhood was pristine. And then yeah, I know parents are good at that, you know, preserving your niñez. Like they're really like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let her be a kid. <laughs> or yeah, let be a kid. I feel at least my family was always like that too. Like for me, I was the same way as you. Like I was really like protected from a lot of things. Exactly. And they do a really, really good job of kind of taking the world on their shoulders and ensuring that you don't have to see any of the, of the ugliness <laughs> that mm-hmm. is out there. Right. And, yeah. and I appreciate that so much now because it made me the person that I am today. Um, because those first, those first five years of your life are so important. Um, they kind of shape you beyond you, you understanding how, how important they are. Um, and, and, and my mom and my dad did a fantastic job. Uh, but I do remember that uh, when I was around eight or ten, <clears throat> the the little city that I'm from, it's a uh, it's a city. It's kind of like in a valley. So so Bolivia is a pretty big country, um, but mm-hmm. the most known city is La Paz. Uh, and I'm not from La Paz. My mom is from La Paz, um, and it's the most populated city. Uh, so when you talk about Bolivia, everybody just kind of gravitates to La Paz if they know anything about Bolivia, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and La Paz is great, but it's nothing like Cochabamba. Cochabamba is like a little valley. Um, it's always like seventy. ¿Cómo se degrees. llama Cochabamba? Cochabamba. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that I'm gonna remember it. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it's Quechua, which is like the Inca um, language. Got it. Yeah, and I think it means um. Well, I'm gonna say it in Spanish. Is es, es un pequeño charco. Um, I don't know if you know what charco means. Uh, uh-huh. 
Yeah, exactly. I honestly, I, I can't, I don't know how to say that in English. So. <laughs> I know I, I was literally just thinking, I was like, how, um, how do I say that in English? <laughs> right. It's, it's okay. It's okay. They can Google it. <laughs> um, I, like I need to, I hate when this happens to me. I'm like, I don't, I can't think of the translation. Like this happens to me too often where I'm like, oh, I saw this meme that was like, when you know two languages, it's like bilingual, like B-Y-E, like bye, <laughs> like you're losing both languages. <laughs> that, that happens to me all the time. Like Google is my BFF. I'm like, how do yeah. you say this in English? <laughs> I swear I speak it. I just don't know all the words. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so when you were about, okay, so when you're about eight or 10, right, that's where we left off. Yeah. So when I was about eight, like eight through 10, I started to notice like little like societal issues. Right. I started to notice that, you know, getting water was was a big deal. Um, obviously, you don't think about water often. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you just turn on mm-hmm. the tab and there's you have water. Um, but, you know, in Cochabamba, because it's like a little valley and, and there isn't really like, you know, water around us, it's more of a rainfall and all that good stuff. Um, I think at the time what was happening was uh, there was a privatization of water. So they were making it like a commodity and you had to buy it. And But it was it was very corrupt as most things are in, in our third world countries. You know, they, they do everything they can to kind of rip you off. Um, right. So there was a lot of uh, instability because people obviously need water. Like you can't, you can't live right. without water. Yeah. So it's I kind remember, of important. <laughs> right? It's kind of like oxygen or food. It's kind of important. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. And um, I remember my dad. Um, he he was um, he was talking to my mom. We were we were eating like you know el almuerzo, like lunch. Lunch was a big lunch is a really big thing. I'm I'm. You're from uh, where are you from, girl? Honduras. 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 Yes. Yeah. So I don't know if you guys do this in Honduras, but uh, in Bolivia, we're very like, like in Spain, right? In Spain, they, they take like a three hour like break in the middle of the day. So if you, if you go to work, you take like a two hour lunch, you go home and mm-hmm. everybody in your family eats lunch together. ¿Cómo le dicen? Um, siesta? In, it, yeah, in Spain it's siesta, but in, in Bolivia, we were just like almuerzo, you know, es, es, es el almuerzo, yeah. you know, um, because mm-hmm. that's that's kind of that was normal that that was normal so my dad would come home from work and then you know he would essentially like for if I was in school he would come pick me up from school and then we would get lunch and and then it was like a whole moment and then he would drop oh, me off wait that's hella cute <laughs> <laughs> that's hella cute I I mean I wasn't raised or born in Honduras so I don't know if that was something like my my siblings went through because they I mean they went through like a my my mom was really well off over there. So they had a different life, I think, in general. But I definitely did not have that growing up. <laughs> my dad was gone. Like he was gone. Like, he would be gone for like months at a time sometimes because he needed to get a job and he needed to like go wherever the job was. And sometimes it was in Miami or Texas, you know, like he would be gone a lot of the time. But that's how like you <laughs> you would have a lunch with your dad. Yeah, dude, it was so adorable. Like, oh man, that was amazing. <laughs> he was a really good. Like, he was. Aww. He always made sure like we were like first, um, above anything, right? Um, but yeah, I remember him having a conversation during one of our like um, our almuerzos. My brother, my mom, you know, we were there, 
And he was telling my mom that, you know, he thought that it was time that we moved just because of the political um, instability. And my mom was like, shook. She was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right? Yeah. She was just like, what do you mean? We have everything we want. We're pretty stable. Mm. We're good. And he was like, yeah, we're good now. But what about them? You know, this is about, you know, our kids, you know, and my mom. Like, Wait, <laughs> I just want to pause right there because this is such an important story because people think immigrants come here because they want to. And, and in some cases, yes, it is the case. But like in another way, there's pressure to leave because of that political unrest. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. like just thinking of your mom, she's like, what? Like we got it all. But your dad's like, but the future of our generations, you know, like our children. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Oof, that is a powerful and I think very relatable story to, to immigrants everywhere. Yeah, exactly. And you're absolutely right. There's this big misconception that, you know, why would you leave a place if you're good? Like, does anybody mm-hmm. ever think about that? <laughs> like, right. The, <laughs> like starting from scratch is hard, like super duper hard. So why would someone do it if it wasn't like the only thing that they thought of that would bring like a much better future for their kids? Right. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think people need to really open their eyes a little bit and, and be a little bit more pathetic, right? Because this isn't, no one, no one wants to, like being an immigrant is extremely difficult. One, you don't know what's going on because you don't speak the language and two, you're looked down upon. So it's, it's a very difficult thing to, to do and you have to be extremely strong to do it. Right. And, mm-hmm. and that's why I appreciate our community a lot because we are strong. <laughs> like the yeah, things that we've been how through. strong. Yeah, that takes some strength. Um, Yeah, but my mom wasn't about it, though. (laughs) (laughs) She was like, nope. (laughs) Um, But like when my dad said that, uh, my mom just looked at us and she was like, you're right. And that was like, that was it. That was the decision that was made. Um, And I didn't know this until probably like maybe like a year ago um, that my mom told me that my dad had been applying for a visa to come to the United States since he was in college. And he would apply every single year. Um, And, you know, we came here when I was 10. So that was what, 20 years, 20 years of applications. And, and, you know, to to get the visa that we got, we got, I don't remember what it was called, because, you know, things are a lot different now, (laughs) because, you know, Mm -hmm. of our current president. Um, But back in the day, it was, (laughs) it was a different visa. It was a visa that was essentially given to, to people from countries um, where the, the the population of that p- particular country isn't really in the United States. So I come from, I guess, a mm. rare country in the sense of immigration-wise, right? Um, wow. So it's kind of like, yeah, it's really interesting. I just found out. I didn't know any of it. Yeah, I had so, no idea. Me either. I was like, really? What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> so I, like, I didn't either. <laughs> who am I? <laughs> um, my mom was like, yeah, so it's kind of like a lottery. So... Because I'm always, I, I tend to do this and I don't mean to do it. I just, I'm really dramatic and extra. I'm always like, I'm so unlucky. Girl, girl. that's your Leo. That's me too. <laughs> <laughs> right? We're just like, no, why do bad things happen to good people? <laughs> oh my God. No, literally same. <laughs> <laughs> right? So extra. Um, But my mom said that and she was like, yeah, it was like a, like a lottery pick. And, and we, like, I don't know, it was, 
I don't know the chances of getting it, but they're really, really slim. And we got it, right? And we got a, a residential visa, like where you know we can come and actually live here, and there's a path for us to to get like a green card and be citizens, mm. right? So we mm-hmm. we did win the lottery, and which explains why I can't win it again. You know what I mean? Because I already won it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Your luck has ran out. So <laughs> <laughs> this is it, y'all. Um, yeah, so then we did that, and I remember just being like shook that we were going to leave because, like my mom said, we were really well off, we were good. Um, and then, and then coming to the United States and and landing in Miami because I feel like that's where most people from South America land. Um, mm-hmm. That was interesting because you, I'm seeing people from all over, like Cuba, Colombia, you know, Ecuador, Panama, you know all these countries, right, that I haven't really, you know, you hear of them, you see them in the map, and then you see someone from there, and, like, it makes it real, like, not that the country doesn't (laughs) exist, (laughs) but it was just... No, no, I get, I get you, I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah, you're like, oh, okay, now I know someone from, like, Puerto Rico, which I've never, ever had, you know, so it was really Mm -hmm. interesting to see, like, the melting pot of, of Latinos in Miami, um, so it was interesting, but at the same time, like my mom and my dad had a hard time finding jobs. And um, so we had to move. And I remember, <laughs> I hated this little girl. They wanted to move to Idaho. And I was like, Ooh. I never gonna... Yes, girl. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't going to find no melting pot of Latinos over there. <laughs> girl, no. I was or maybe I'm one. wrong. I don't know. <laughs> it was probably like two of us, you know. Um, yeah. In the whole state. <laughs> right? <laughs> and the reason they wanted to go to Idaho was because we used to always have like little missionaries like come to our house. And my mom was like really nice. And so was my dad. So we always like let them in and, you know, we'd have conversations. And we thought it was cute that they wanted to know more about the country. Um, you know, because, you know, you're from like, like one of them was from Idaho. Like what? Like I never even knew that was the state until I met this person. Right. Um, so it was, it was really interesting. So we were like, oh, remember Sean? He was like, yeah, if you're ever in the U.S., just come to Idaho. We're in the U.S. And <laughs> so we went to Idaho. And it wow. Was a- <laughs> How old were you? Is this when you I were was- 10? Yeah, it was still when I was 10. Cause like we, we were in, in Miami for a little bit, but not long, not long at all. I think it was maybe like six months tops. Um, and I, yeah, it was it was great, but at the same time, you know, we were we were essentially living off what my my parents had saved in Bolivia um, during this six months because they couldn't really find a good paying job, um, and it was also really expensive for them. Uh, well, when you don't have money, I think everything's expensive, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's, You're right. <laughs> so we moved to Idaho, and I think that's when it really hit me. Because in Miami, like, at least, you know, I was around Latinos and they spoke Spanish. And there wasn't really, like, that deep need for me to speak in English because everybody in my neighborhood spoke Spanish, right? Mm-hmm. So it was like being in Bolivia, pero con, con más sazón, right? Because I had more yeah. Puerto Rican, <laughs> more, more, more I people. That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, this is great. Like, I'm learning how other like people speak Spanish because we all speak it differently, right? Especially, oh, you know, so different. Yeah, girl, it's like it was it was so cool. It was so cool. I love Miami. So then you go to Idaho, which is like the complete opposite. <laughs> like, holy crap, I was shook. I was so 
so concerned for myself because <laughs> I've never been in snow. Um, and that was like my first time like seeing snow and, and just being utterly uncomfortable, right? Like when you're so out of place and everyone kind of makes you feel uncomfortable, right? Like even like waiting for the bus was a mess. Like I would just wait and, you know, other kids would come by and they wouldn't stand next to me or, you know, because I wasn't, I was different. And it was really interesting because that was, I've never experienced that. And I was like, wow, where am I? <laughs> this is yeah. quite, uh, it was horrible. And I remember I learned a little bit of English um, enough to just kind of, you know, the English that they teach you like, oh, door, you know, floor, roof, my name is <laughs> the very useful English. And I remember, um, I remember walking into like my homeroom, right? Like where, you know, I was supposed to like my actual real classroom. And I remember walking in and I was, I was like, the teacher was kind of like telling me things, but I couldn't really understand her. And then I remember like all the kids coming in and they just kind of like circled me. <laughs> they were like, Ooh, who's this, you know? And I remember the teacher saying, oh, she's in eighth grade. Cause I remember eighth grade and they were like, wow, she must be a genius. And then they were, <laughs> they were so cute. But then they were like, she was like, no, she can't really speak. Oh, and then they were like, oh, then it's the opposite. <laughs> and I was like, um, mm -hmm. it was interesting, though, because it was so cute because they were so disappointed that I wasn't in eighth grade. Um, and they were also very, like, disappointed that I just didn't speak. But I was disappointed in myself, even though one girl, like, what are you talking about? Like, you just kind of got here. There's no. But, like, I had that pressure in myself already that I was far behind and I already kind of gave them a bad impression of myself. Like even at 10, I felt the pressure of just being better and just showing that like, no, like I'm from Bolivia. Like you don't know the country, but I swear we are good. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah. That's where it started where you were like, I'm really trying to represent Bolivia and my people and yeah. not be a statistic. That's where it started. It did. It started at that age, like super young. I was like, not today. Like you will not, <laughs> you will not like pity me or, or think that I can't do something that you can do. Um, so it was, it was quite difficult, honestly. Uh, I think it, like during recess, like I would actually go to, to the library and like grab like, like, cause it was like, I was still in elementary school. So you still have kids that were little. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So I would go to like the really like little, like little kid section of the library and start like reading trying to understand what words meant um because i really wanted to communicate and have an actual conversation with people and that was i did that i think for like six months and then and then i i spoke english <laughs> but it was hard so my heart goes out to everybody that like comes here and tries to start all over again because i've been there i know what it's like and i think it's very unfair for people to to jump judge them and, and, you know, think that they're, they're lazy or they're criminals or they're, you know, they're, they're all the worst things in the world. And it's like, you don't even know what's going on. <laughs> I know there's so much going on below the surface, right? Oh my God. Don't even get me yeah. started on that. <laughs> but were you, were you in ESL classes or were you like teaching yourself English through reading books? I was, I was in ESL classes, but I always felt like they were like, they were going super slow. Um, and that's the pressure I put on myself. It wasn't them. You know what I mean? It was most mostly me like putting myself in a position where like, 
no, like you, you should, cause like we would have like obviously math class, right? And math is universal. So I knew math. I was like, okay, I get it. I know there's like, I could, I could get to the answer, but I couldn't talk about how I got to the answer. Right. So whenever we, we had like little sessions where like the teacher would be like, oh, who can solve this? I would raise my hand and then she would call me and I would solve it. And then she, she'd be like, how'd you get there? And I was like, ma'am, I can't speak. (laughs) (laughs) I can't explain things. I just know I got there. (laughs) I got it right though. (laughs) Right. It was, it was interesting, but it was cute because she was trying to get me to speak. Um, but I just couldn't talk, right? I couldn't, I couldn't say how I got there. Um, so, you know, I would go to ESL classes, but I would also like do my little homework on the side. And that was like read little books and watch TV and, and see how people communicate and how they say certain things. Cause you know, we don't really have to be proper all the time, but yeah, that's, that's basically my life in elementary school in Idaho. Wow. And did you ever move out of Idaho or did you spend the majority of your life there? So we did move to Idaho. Um, okay, I guess like backstory. My dad, when he was younger and he was, you know, applying to visas, he did a study abroad uh, program that brought him to the United States. And I think that's what like triggered his love to for the United States. Again. Okay. Yeah. So that's why he was like, we have to go to the United States. And I remember his study abroad program was in the South. So it was somewhere like in Mississippi or somewhere, somewhere in the South. But he somehow ended up being in Houston for a little bit. And he loved Houston. He absolutely adored Houston. Um, so when <laughs> when it started to snow, because it's real, and you know, I'm from a tropical <laughs> country. <laughs> Yeah, it snows real, y'all. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait, it's like like feet, right? It's not because it's Idaho. It's like my how Canada. was the first time? How was that like first experience of snow coming from a tropical place and then being like, what in the world is going on? <laughs> it was so I didn't even know what to think about. I just knew that it was beautiful. Like it was so beautiful, but also very messy, you know, because like people <laughs> people driving the snow is so scary. Um, but it was gorgeous. I remember just standing outside and like, you know, you know how when you like you, when there's snow, you just go outside and you open your mouth and like snowflakes fall into your mouth. I did that. And it was like the most magical experience of my life because I've I've never seen it. And it was amazing. I thought it was great, but you know, it it wears off real quick because (laughs) that's, that's like months, (laughs) it's months of like, you're like, all right, I'm over it. Yeah, it's like, wait, I don't like it anymore. I'm cold all the time. Um, so y'all were like, yeah. F this, I'm going to Houston where it's hot <laughs> all the time. <laughs> wait, we just can't, we just can't win. Um, but yeah, that's what happened. Like my dad was like, yeah, we should probably go to Houston because one, there's more jobs there. And two, it's just warmer, right? So so we did that. And that was a trip because obviously we were poor and we had to take the bus and the bus from Idaho to Houston was horrible. Yeah. Yeah, It it was just the longest bus ride ever. Um, But we finally got there. Like my, my dad and my brother went separately and they, they got a U-Haul in the car and all that good stuff. And they were driving separately. And I remember when we got there, like uh, I could tell that my dad wasn't feeling well, he was really sick. And that, that's, that's when I was around 12. So we were in Idaho for a couple of years 
Um, and then, you know, I, we found out that he was really, really sick. And then that's essentially <laughs> when my childhood took a horrible turn. Because that's when we found out that, oh, girl, the mother cried. Oh, <laughs> it's okay. I'm so sorry, girl. Don't be sorry. I think when uh, when I when I talk about my dad, there's just so so much pain behind it because I never really dealt with with his death um, when I should have. And I think when you're younger, it's really difficult to to deal with that, especially when when you have so many things going on, right? Not only are you are you trying to essentially do everything you can to be successful in this country <laughs> because the pressure is so on you, but you're also trying to be strong for your family. So I, I remember when my dad died, like I couldn't, like I was obviously devastated and I think I cried, but the next day I remember I had to take my SATs and like I was like I'm not in the mood <laughs> you know because I don't think right. anyone is in the mood and I remember my mom she woke up and she was like hey you know you have to take your SATs today and I was like oh okay I guess so I remember going to take the SATs and taking them but I don't really remember what was in them I just remember getting picked up and and then going back home and just sleeping the rest of the day mm -hmm. um but yeah, it was it was really difficult. Like I don't think I ever brought myself to to really talk about my dad ever because I think if I talked about him, I would just break down. And for like like we said earlier, right? Like you you just have to be strong to be an immigrant. Um, and I felt like any kind of weakness would kind of just just seep into anything else that I was doing, which was going to school, trying to get my life in order, um, trying to make sure my mom was fine. So I always kept it together. But I think now that I'm like a little bit older and a little bit more healed, it just kind of still comes. I'm like, oh, don't cry. <laughs> but it still, yeah. it still happens. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. But it sounds like your dad was an amazing person. And so I understand all the emotion behind it. So I appreciate you sharing that. And girl, I wish I can hug you right now. <laughs> I'm oh sending God. you some hugs. <laughs> Abrazos. No, thank but you, thank girl. you. I mean, were you in, so you were taking the SAT, so you were in high school at this yeah. point? Yeah. Yeah. I was 17. You know, like the world is your oyster <laughs> in high school. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> that's what they say. But my dad got sick when I was 12. Um, and throughout this time, he he was always in the hospital. So I, I don't really remember a majority of like from 12 to 17 because I was always with my dad, right? We were in very like in various hospitals, um, just, you know, hoping that things would change. Um, he needed a liver transplant. So my dad didn't really speak English. So whenever, you know, we had to, he had a doctor's appointment or something like me or my mom or my brother would have to go with him. Um, so mm -hmm. that's also another thing, right? When, when it comes to immigration, right? Healthcare, <laughs> like that's a big yeah. thing because right. when you are, once again, like immigrant, you don't speak English and you also don't have money. It's very difficult to get quality healthcare. And that's just yeah. the reality. That's just the reality of our system as well. I mean, even if you, 
I don't know if you watched uh, the uh, documentary uh, about Serena Williams. Um, it's kind of like no, but I, I I saw one of her events and she talked about it, and I was so pissed. <laughs> right? Like even someone that's so successful, uh, like everyone knows you, and you still go through like issues because of racism. That's just what it is. That's exactly what it is, right? Yeah, it exists, and uh, again, when you say systemic it's literally the system in every single aspect healthcare is included in that <laughs> exactly and that is super super sad because it really does affect your life like it costs your life right um and you know like when i saw that documentary with with, uh, with serena i was just like girl what are we doing <laughs> what exactly are we doing because not even having money and being famous and being rich is is going to help you right um, so imagine being in that position, but essentially in the eyes of the system, being nobody, right? Being an immigrant, uh, you know, I, I remember when I, I would go to the doctor with my dad, it was very frustrating to just be able to, to speak to someone that cared enough, right? That wanted to help because they just saw him as, oh, he's just another person, right? It, 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 just, it feels like nobody really cared enough to really sit there and find out what the issue was until it was a bit too Oof. late and I was oh like whoa <laughs> yeah it was really sad but I'm so sorry girl no it's okay I mean things happen I now I fully like I'm aware of of you know everything that my parents were trying to protect me from it was it kind of all came crashing at once and I was like whoa mm-hmm. the world is a cold place <laughs> but yeah it's cold out here <laughs> It's like right. Idaho out here. <laughs> <laughs> Girl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. But that was, yeah. I mean, I don't blame you for not remembering those moments, 12 to 17. And I feel like th- those are very um, like pivotal ages, you know, like you're really changing so much. And so I feel like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like that experience with your dad probably hella shaped you into the person you are because those moments, those ages, they're so crucial. And they I really feel like, is. yeah, yeah. I'm just like, wow, that it tells me so much about who you are. And like, just you're, and I'm meeting you for the first time. And I'm like, oh my God, like, I can already tell you're so warm and inviting, but also hella strong. Like, you're a strong woman. And Aww. I'm like, I see, I see where it comes from. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, yeah, no, I think uh, I always like, I always talk to to other people and they tell me about, you know, their stories and their childhood. And, and all I remember from my childhood is like my Bolivian childhood, you know, because I mm-hmm. think that was such a good time and it wasn't traumatizing at all. Whereas, you know, it's it's ironic, right? Like we were, technically we were really good and my dad was really focused on, you know, our future. And like, I guess he was focused on like our future now, like now that I'm 30, but not like our immediate future. And and that was like the most traumatizing time of my life. Um, obviously not his fault. <laughs> but, you know, like, yeah, in those moments of you going through what you were going through with your father, like seeing your dad and in the situation he was in and being there with your family, like how from an immigrant first gen standpoint, knowing that you had an amazing childhood in Bolivia to going to the US for a better life, like how were you feeling in those moments? Um, yeah, I did feel a little bit of, of resentment and I, and I wish we never left because life was just so much easier. 
in Bolivia. Like it felt so much simpler too. It just felt very, very family oriented. Whereas when I moved here, it felt very like work driven and money. And every every conversation we had was about money, which I understand, right? Like back in Bolivia, we were driven by other things because we didn't have to worry about that. Whereas now we're in a different we're in the other side of the road, right? Like we we have to worry about those things. And my dad was sick a lot of the times. So my mom had to work multiple jobs. Um, and, you know, that was hard for my mom too, because my mom wasn't used to that either. Um, yeah, I was so gonna my, ask, did she work in Bolivia or no? She worked in Bolivia a little bit, but not that much because we didn't really have to. But my mom, you know, she was a very, she's a very strong lady. She does what she wants and <laughs> she instilled that in me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she was like, no, I'll work. <laughs> so, okay, you can work, it's cool. <laughs> but yeah, she she worked and she she had an incredible job. I remember she she loved shoes. So she had like this, uh, she was like the manager of this really like bougie shoe place. And like, she would pick me up from school and like, I would just go there. And I had like, I love shoes too. And I think it's because of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was surrounded by shoes since I was little. Um, and yeah, she loved that, that job. My dad was an accountant and like uh, in a very like high position at some company in Bolivia. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were good. But, you know, now that he's moved here and we're here, he can't speak English. So he can't and he couldn't do what he wanted to do. And, you know, part I mean, when he got sick, he also got uh, Parkinson's, which just affected the way he thought. Right. Like he couldn't. He couldn't uh, elaborate things properly. His hands would shake a lot, um, so he couldn't write. Um, so it was really difficult seeing the, I guess, the transition from you know someone that's incredibly intelligent because that's my dad was incredibly intelligent to someone that you know just couldn't talk or or couldn't write. So I, I think I think that really hit home because <laughs> it was a very it was like a very black and white like transition right like we went from yay life is great to like holy crap (laughs) we're poor and my dad's dying (laughs) like whoa that's heavy yeah it was it was rough but but my mom was a she's a she's a very strong lady like extremely strong because during this entire time she had multiple jobs and honestly jobs that when you don't speak english and you're an immigrant you have right she worked at mcdonald's she worked at I, I don't remember what motel and she was like a cleaning lady and you know she was doing things everything she could to make sure that we were good and you know she wasn't home because she was working two jobs and my dad wasn't home either because he was in the hospital so it was just me and my brother and I remember um like the reason why I love Houston so much is because during this like horrible time um I remember that like our neighbors would like come and check on us to make sure that we were okay. Cause somehow they got wind of the fact that like we weren't, <laughs> we were alone, like that me and my brother were alone. So some of our neighbors would like make food and they would bring it to us. And I remember one of the ladies, she was Mexican and she was like the sweetest and she made uh, mole and I've never had mole. Oh, bomb. Yes, girl. <laughs> I was like, wait. You're like, what is mole? <laughs> Ma'am, come back. <laughs> Like, where are you going? Don't leave. Where you at? Where you at? (laughs) Right? I was like, wait a minute. What is this miracle food? Um, So, yeah. So, that's why I love Houston because I felt like during this horrible transition, because I remember when when they found out that my dad was sick, he had um, autoimmune hepatitis. 
they told us that he had six months to live, right? And I was 12 and I was like destroyed. I was like, oh my God, what the heck? And um, I was not, I don't remember, like, I don't remember, like I said, like what happened between 12 and 17. I have like very vague memories. Um, mm -hmm. But I do remember like when I found out that I was completely devastated as we all were. And during this time, uh, my mom was like, fully about working work mode because you know she needed to make sure that we were good and we didn't have food so we would go to churches to get like you know those canned free foods um to make sure that we were good and then the neighborhood was like oh y'all are struggling <laughs> like let's help you out a little bit and and it just kind of came to our aid and and that's why I love Houston so much because I don't I don't think I've ever been in a place where like people were so about like helping you and and that was that was the vibe in Houston and I was like oh I love it here that's what my dad wanted to move here <laughs> yeah that's so beautiful and like you know I'm always trying to find like the poetic parts in life where I'm like you know it's really beautiful that you know your dad he studied abroad in Houston and he was like I want to go back like you, you know he's like let's leave Idaho let's go back and like essentially you guys were able to find what he found when he first went to the United States and it was that community. And so I'm yeah. like, beautiful. So yeah. Beautiful. Let's talk about like what happened after 17, like, you know, going through this, losing your father, which is like so big and very life-changing. Like what happened after 17? Um, so my dad was big on me going to Baylor University. I have no idea why. I was just like, why? <laughs> why do you want me to go to Baylor? <laughs> okay. <laughs> no tienes ninguna razón. I don't understand. Like you haven't even gone to Baylor. But you know, my dad had yeah. <laughs> So um I actually didn't want to go to school anywhere in Texas. Like I wanted to go as far away as I could. Uh, just because I wanted to kind of escape the reality of my life, which was just absolute trash at the point. And yeah. I just like, I just need to just go somewhere else, get my life in order, um, feel a little better about myself, just kind of just find myself. Because I felt like from 12 to 17, it was it was me just kind of holding it down in the house um, and, you know, kind of helping my mom, helping my dad. And, and I didn't really know who I was. Right. I didn't really go through the phases that most kids go through. Right. Like you go to parties. I never went to a party. Like I think I went to one party and it was because my mom and my dad dropped me off and then they came and picked me up like an hour later. <laughs> you know, that was it. That was it. That was my one, one party. hour partying. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. And it was like and I think the reason she let me go to this party, which is my mom. It was because it was literally like 10 minutes away from my house. Like, so she was like, oh, it's right there. I can see you kind of, you know, if, if something happens, I can literally walk and <laughs> you'll be fine. Right. Because, um, you know, like Latina moms and Latino dads are like very protective, overprotective. Oh, hella protective. I, I, I'm like laughing because I also went to like one party and <laughs> it was my prom. <laughs> yes, girl. <laughs> So that was it. That was the only dance I ever went to. That was the only party. Like even the after party, my parents were waiting there. They're like, we're here. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. So I get you, girl. We're not yeah, alone. <laughs> you can't do anything without them, really. Um, so Literally. yeah, <laughs> it was so interesting because like I was like, I'm gonna go somewhere super far. And I applied to really like far schools. 
And I got into Penn State and I was like, Pennsylvania, I've heard of the place. <laughs> so, so I ended up going to Pennsylvania and and I think that was honestly like the best four years of my life um, because I got to meet like people that wanted to make a difference in the world. And, and they were so driven, you know, because when you go to college, you meet incredible people. Like you meet people that really, really, right? Like that really believe in, in a better world. Um, and I was surrounded by like absolutely intelligent people and they were black and Hispanic, right? And that's, those yeah. are the communities that I, I gear towards because that's, that's where I was at, you know, like when I was in Houston, it was, that was my people, <laughs> right? Those, yeah. I went to school that was black and Hispanic, right? Um, so it was fantastic. I loved it. I loved everything about it. And it challenged me. It challenged me a lot because once again, I don't remember high school. So going into college, you kind of have to remember some things. <laughs> There was a, a little learning curve uh, there, but I met incredible people. I experienced new things. I think that was like one of the first times that I ate like like real like Chinese food and Asian food and Thai food. Like my roommates were, uh, one of them was, I think, from Thailand and another one was from China and all. Like I was just blown away by the incredible diversity. Um, and, and I loved it. I, it was, oh my uh, God. I'm thinking about when I went to San Jose, people would hella make fun of me. Cause I'm like, I never had sushi. And they're like, what? And I'm like, <laughs> we, don't, we don't eat sushi. Like what? <laughs> yes. I, grew up, I literally grew up with like comida andoreña, comida mexicana. Cause I was in San Diego and then we love Chinese food. It's like a thing. Like we always say, si sos andoreño, you have to love Chinese food. Like it's just, <laughs> but like, Anything else from that? Like, I had no idea. I was like, oh, sushi's bomb. I didn't know this existed. Or like, you know, like comida. I don't even know. And okay, so this is the one embarrassing story I'm gonna tell you. So we went out to the sushi place my freshman year. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's, it's como Disneyland para mí, you know, I'm like, what? It's like all these foods. And I'm like, you're <laughs> the fish and you don't cook it? Like, there was all these things where I was like, this is so new. But my friend at the time, she, well, she's still my friend, but she's Japanese. She's Hawaiian. So she's like, oh, yeah, girl, like, this is bomb. And then yo de bruta, I was like, oh, do they have boba here? And they're like, no, Jasmine, that is not... <laughs> <laughs> that is not something you're gonna find here and I was like oh I don't know <laughs> oh but anyways, my god I, that is so funny I was trying all these new foods and I was like my world my world is opening up <laughs> right it is like the most incredible like honestly it was hella expensive but I would do it in a heartbeat again because that was an amazing experience and I met incredible people and I found myself in a sense like I found like I found what I like to do. Like when I went in there, I was essentially, I, I'm pretty sure you know the pressures, right? Like you you go to college and then your mom is kind of expecting you to be an engineer or a doctor, right? So yeah. Yeah. that was that was what I was thinking in the back of my mind. Like I was like, okay, so entrado a ser una ingeniera. Like I'm going to be an engineer. That's my job. And then I was like, mm, maybe I want to be a doctor. So then I, <laughs> so I dabbled in both. And then I was like, nah, I don't want to do this. Like, who am I lying? Like, I, I hate all of these classes, right? And if I hate it, yeah. like, like why, why would I want to do this? And then I remember having that tough conversation with my mom because I was doing the most. I think I took, like, seven classes, like, every semester because I was just all over the place. Wow. And then, girl, I don't know what I was thinking. And 
one semester I was taking like calculus, physics, genetics, chemistry, like all of the hard classes. De todo. <laughs> de todo. In, in, the mismo, like, in el mismo semester. And I was like, like I couldn't sleep. I couldn't like, I was, I was going through it. And I remember, I remember calling my mom crying and I was like, I can't do this mom. Like I just, like if I wanted to, maybe I would, but I just don't want to do this. And then she was like, what do you like? And I was like, well, I'm taking econ and I really like it. She was like, just do that then. I'm like thinking it's it's the pressure that you put on yourself since you were 10 years old, right? Like queriendo ser algo más, you know, like representing again your culture, your family, your your people, your community. Like I get it. So I, yes. I, like, I feel like in that moment you crying is like literally you saying like, I just can't take all this pressure. Like, it, I, yes, <laughs> yes, girl. And like, this sounds really weird, but like, I remember when we were little, I, you know, my mom, she she didn't work well you know I, me and my brother were, were young right she she was the one that taught us like how to write how to read you know like adding subtracting like all that stuff before we went to school right so to go into like the schools that we went to you had to take a test and if you did really good you got into the school right and <laughs> like like ever since like it being super tiny I was just like in that like mode of just you have to perform, you know, and it, it got really tiring, you know, it gets really, really tiring at, at a certain point. And I think for me, I think if, if my dad hadn't been sick, and if I didn't have the stress of the world on me to just kind of like perform, I think I would have done better. But I just, I think I was, I was holding on to too many things at once. And I just had to let one go. And that was me becoming a doctor or, or an engineer, because at the end of the day, I didn't really care for that as much as I could have. <laughs> so like, who cares if I let that go? But I, but I really have to hold it down together for my family uh, and keep myself like from not falling apart. So I think it was, it was all right get letting that go. I think my mom understood. She was like, girl, you've been under a lot of stress. <laughs> Just go ahead yeah, and let it go. <laughs> like, yeah, I get it. No, that's so true. And then did you end up doing econ? Yeah, yeah. I loved it. I loved everything about it. I was like, this makes sense. And it's kind of, well, I mean, econ, I don't really know too much about econ, but like that's in like the finance world, right? And so like, wasn't yes. your dad also in finance? Yes, that's why I loved it because oh, I love math. So beautiful. Like... That's the poetic <laughs> part of life right there. Like, that's amazing. Yeah, I think he would have been really proud. He would have been like, oh, yeah, you did that. Oh. He is. <laughs> well, oh my gosh, girl, I am loving all of these things that you're talking about. And I think like, there's so much of it that I'm like, wow, like, that's what my brother went through. Or that's what you know, like, I have gone through. It's like, it's really beautiful, because our community, although so diverse, we come from Bolivia, Honduras, Mexico, like wherever it is that we come from, we still have so many similarities when we come into this country because we're living that first gen life. Like we're the first, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> we're the first yeah. to really have these experiences and really get immersed into this different culture while also navigating our own stuff, like in our families and our cultura, like there's just things that we're still navigating. So I think it's just so beautiful that you've told this story in such an authentic and very emotional and vulnerable way. Like, thank you. I um I want to move into our cafecito and cheesement portion because there's some questions I want to ask you about what you're up to now. And I think this is a perfect segue, like you going to Penn State, doing econ, and then post-college, like what you're doing with life now. Yeah, for sure. Before we switch over, one question, because this is something I'm curious about. I'm sure people listening who don't know about Bolivia are interested in. 
tell us your favorite parts about being Bolivian. It could be food, Ooh. history, if you know it, like what? Are, what's your favorite parts about being Bolivian? So my favorite part, which girl, I had to hunt this down because uh, <laughs> <laughs> because I was like in like a little limbo, like I'm not truly Bolivian because I haven't really been to Bolivia for a long time, but then I'm also not American. So it's like a really weird, like you said, first gen shenanigans, like identity thing uh, with your culture itself. That just reminded me of what you just said is... You know that phrase, nida gi, nida ya? Sí. I heard, oh, I forget her, her name, but she said, de aquí y de allá. Like she like switched it up and I was like, ooh, that sounds like what you're kind of going through. It's like you're from these two places and you, you, you embody both, you know? That is so much more positive. I love it. I so love that. Yes, girl. Because like you belong to both places instead of just acting like you don't belong. Yes, yes girl. You don't change my life. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> We're best friends now, basically. So <laughs> yes, y'all. Um, so I think my favorite part is um, I found out as I was reading through because I was going through many, many identity crises trying to figure out about like my Inca culture, right? Like I did a whole like DNA and mean test, and turns out I'm like about eighty percent like Inca, and I was like, Ooh. that's dope. Yeah, girl, that's so like, beautiful girl. Right. That's like basically a hundred, right? I was like, okay, like let's let's keep rounding. Let's keep rounding. <laughs> oh my god. A hundred percent Incan. There you yes, go. Yes, there you go. And I didn't even know that much about my culture. So I went I'm a I'm like a very curious bookworm type of person. So I went to like all the sites and I try to find like a book of like Inca history and I and I watched all these documentaries and I finally found like one book that I was like, okay, cool. But it was like in Spanish and it was from Peru, you know, Peru. Um, mm -hmm. So Peru, Peru y Bolivia. Oh, just got, I just got real Spanish there. Um, they used to be one country. <laughs> they used to be a country back in the day. And Bolivia was uh, Sud Peru or South Peru, right? And then Peru was just Peru. And um, what I found out was that like back in the day when, you know, we were, were uh, under Spanish rule, the first people that in Bolivia that decided to rise against uh, the Spanish rule were um, women from Cochabamba. And I was like, okay, word. <laughs> oh my God, that's hella cool. What? Yes, girl. Like, it wasn't the man, you know, like, no shade, but at the same time, like, like you know, like, Inca culture was very, like, matriarchal and, like, it was a very equal, very civilized society, right? But I just thought it was so dope that it was, like, no, you know, I get it. You're a woman with like a machete, right? Like you might you might get killed against a man with a, with a gun, but at least you had the courage to stand up and do it. And that was really, really empowering as a woman and as someone from from that city. Right. I was like, OK, word like we were really that bad. Yes, we were. So, <laughs> so I think that's something that I want people to understand about Bolivia. Like we it, it was it was a dark time, but you know you had your girls holding you down. So, and you know I have to admit I I recently saw um, Netflix had a Latin America special for street foods. Did you see that? Yes, yes. And I saw Bolivia girl shout out, and I was <laughs> like, man, the women in Bolivia are like hella like strong. Like I was so impressed and moved. So I'm like hearing that story from you. I'm like, oh, this all makes sense. <laughs> 
Thank you. <laughs> if y'all haven't if y'all haven't tuned in, that that Latin America street foods is so bomb. Like all the episodes are so so bomb. And I love that each one it represents these countries, but it represents like like the minorities of those countries. <laughs> like yes. it was super dope to see like you know, Japanese in, in Peru or mm-hmm. Las Cholas, right? Is that what it was? Yeah. In yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Fun. Anyways, it is. I had to do yeah. that segue. <laughs> no, girl, that's a perfect segue. Yeah, I love that show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, okay, so let's let's do our cafecito and cheese, man. I have my little cafecito here, although I'm going to admit I'm like almost done with it. <laughs> I've been really like, like sipping all the tea, but... I want to know what you're up to now. And I really want to focus on your business because you glaze skin business. Like you started this and you are really passionate about skincare. Like tell me a little bit about your business and why you created it. Yeah, for sure. So glaze skin was born out of just my obsession with skincare. I think (sighs) stress has a lot to do with it, (laughs) right? Like how your skin responds to a lot of stuff. Um, but when I was yeah. a lot younger, my mom, she's always been kind of a very, very uh, skincare conscious person. So she's always been kind of putting me on what I need to do. And she's always bought me really good stuff. And like, even, even when I was super tiny, she'd be like, doesn't matter what you do, but just wear sunscreen, right? Uh, which is something that a lot of our people in our community don't hear. Like, I was just gonna say, like, that was not a big thing, like, in my family. My mom was all about, like, Mary Kay and selling those things, but it was mostly, you know, for the hustle, not so much of, like, here's all the beautiful things that your skin can do, and, like, here are the best products. Like, it wasn't that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And and the the messed up part is, like, now there's this this big misconception that, you know, like, darker skin tones don't need sunscreen, right? And it's like, what? Like, you're still human, you still burn, just because you're not, like, burning, like, you know, the lighter shades doesn't mean that you're not getting affected by by damage, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that that has a lot, that has a really big effect on, on people. I think we just, we just need to be a little bit more educated. Um, and right now, what I'm working on is glaze skin, and the mission is essentially to have uh, a sustainable, affordable skincare line, but that's more catered to minorities, specifically Hispanic and African-Americans uh, people, because we need it the most. I think we, we are, we have like a huge learning curve in a lot of ways. Um, obviously systematic racism does play a huge role into this. Um, but I think uh, one girl, it does. <laughs> Like when you open your eyes to what's really going on, like it just, it's very, very disheartening. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, having been in a position where, you know, I didn't have money and I was around, you know, mostly people of color, it's very like in my heart that I think my mission is to have a company that's catered to them and that employs like, like people of color. Yes. For us, by us, like that. Exactly. (laughs) FUBU. Um, yeah I think it's really (laughs) taking it back um (laughs) I think it's it's just something like I don't know if you if you were uh aware but like I think when uh when George Floyd uh passed away there was this huge movement of uh pulling up or shutting up it was called pull up or shut up and it was Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. it was created by the founder of Uma Beauty uh her name is Sharon Cutter I believe I I'm not I may not be pronouncing her name right 
And she's someone that's been in the beauty industry for a very, very long time. Like she's worked in huge corporations and she was kind of seeing essentially like big corporations like, oh yeah, we're going to donate like $10,000 to this and this. And then that was it. Right. And, and, and as, as great as it is that you are donating, like, what are you doing internally? Right. Like what are your policies to include people of color in your decision making moves? Right. Because it's great that, you know, you, like a lot of people were essentially the movement was to call out like how many people of color do you have in your staff or or working for you right and yeah uh, and then you hear things like Wells Fargo the CEO did you see that wait what he said he said that they haven't hit their diversity numbers i may be, i may be butchering this but like he says something along the lines of they haven't hit their diversity numbers because there's not enough talent in minorities or uh, minorities. Was like, what what? <laughs> oh my God. Everyone was like, everyone that, that has their, you know, account at Wells Fargo, like move. <laughs> that I is just... horrible. <laughs> like, how oh. dare you? <laughs> wow. Oh yeah. no. Yeah. And, the, and that's what another thing, you know, like when I said I went to college and I felt like, I just fell in love with the people there. And I found these incredible, amazing, intelligent people, girl, they were people of color. Like, mm-hmm. So for you to say that the talent isn't there, it's just absolutely egregious. Like you really like what you want. I can introduce you to this, all these people. <laughs> literally just check out my network, sir. <laughs> yeah. It's please see LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> right. They're like doing big things. I am extremely proud of like the people that I went to school with because they are killing it. Uh, so it just puts a lot of pressure on me, right? Which is fine. I thrive under pressure. <laughs> uh, but essentially <laughs> Really, I feel like it's so unhealthy. I'm like, why do I like this? <laughs> it's like survival mode. Like you're forced to just, you know, yeah, do it. Yeah, I guess that's what it is. Because I, yeah, we can talk about that offline. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, girl. Um, so I, my, my essential goal is to because of that movement. Because I saw that a lot of companies didn't have like representation where it mattered. Right, like. Okay, like let's say Sephora pulls up and it's like, oh, you know, 20% of our people are of color. Okay, where are they at though? Like, where are they? Mm-hmm. Are they like in the sales floor or are they in the C suite making decisions, right? Because at the end of the day, that's what matters. Like, your voice needs to be heard, right? You need to be like, that's representation, right? You're representing your, your people. Companies really love throwing out percentages, like, we got this. And again, it's like asking those questions that are challenging for them. Like, where are they? Like, I remember my 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 first and only corporate experience, actually. And literally, I kid you not, girl. Like, I was literally friends with all the cooks and the cleaners, especially the cooks. Like, we were homies. Oh, <laughs> I feel it. Only Latinos that were around. Like, there was no Latinos on my team. I was the only one that was Latina. There was like no representation anywhere. Like, I would go into the cafeteria, I saw no one of color. Exactly. Exactly. And you hit it in the head, right? Like, I also work in a large company in Silicon Valley. And yes, I, I think I could count in my hand how many of us are there. Like, there's a thousand people there, and probably like three or four people that speak Spanish that are Hispanic. And it's like really 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 depressing because i'm like word <laughs> like yeah no it's like it's hella true though it, it, it makes me sad because it's like the same way that this is i don't know if this is how you feel but like for me you you were saying earlier that you are typically the only bolivian friend that people have right and it's like yeah. a lot of pressure 
for me, I always felt the same way. Like I'm usually the only Hondureña, Honduran friend that people have or me. And they're like, oh my God. And they like tell it to me. And I'm like, I get so happy. But at the same time, I'm like, wow, like the pressure and also you're missing out. Like, <laughs> you know, like there's so many things I'm like thinking at the same time. And it's, it's the same thing in those spaces where I'm like, when I go in there, it's like, I'm not only representing Latinas or Latinos, I'm representing Hondureños and my, my community, you know? And there's like so much burden that we place on ourselves because we don't want to fail because how often do you see people like us in those spaces? Exactly. And, and the amount of work that we need to put to get to a position Mm -hmm. where we are actually heard is ridiculous. It's incredibly ridiculous. Like it's, it's, it's no, (laughs) like I work hard. Like, like, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, and I'm sure you do too, but that, that's because we have to, right? And it's and you're working good. a full time job and doing this business, right? Yes, girl. Yeah, so I'm I'm struggling, <laughs> girl, <But it's>, girl. <laughs> I a thousand percent feel you. Oh my god, someone was like, "Well, you should just like focus on your projects full time." Like, girl, I need to make money. Like, <laughs> like I yeah. wish, but like one day. <laughs> No, for real. One day, yes. But like the yeah. the beginning stages are so difficult because you're beginning, right? Like you're you don't have a foundation. I mean, like I am I'm trying to figure out like everything about it. And you know, thank God I do have an economics degree because I understand business in that sense, right? But and mm-hmm. you know, prior to me working in marketing, I used to work at a financial firm. So I, I'm aware of how business works and you know, like those things, right? I, I think I'm I'm pretty good at that stuff, but I still have to worry about like production and all that stuff and and manufacturing and logistics and all that. And and I I've never done that. So for this business, are you creating the actual skincare line? Yeah. So the goal. Ooh, for, that's dope. Goal, yeah, girl. Like the goal is uh, by next year to just actually have like an actual product. I was supposed to go touring like manufacturing companies this year, but that obviously didn't take place. Because... <laughs> yes, <laughs> girl. I was like, Rona okay. out here, <laughs> right? Just ruining lives, but it's cool. Um, I was like, okay, well, you know, this gives you a little bit more of like leeway onto like how you want to structure it because it is it's a I, it's an industry that I've never been in. Like I've never worked in it, right? But I'm just a, one of those people that is really fully about it. I've, it's it's a hobby of mine. I love it. I'm very, very invested in it. Um, so starting from scratch when you're not in the industry is difficult, right? Uh, it's so so hard. So it has been trying, but I think it's been very rewarding as well because I, it's just it teaches me patience with myself. It teaches me to, to just kind of, <laughs> it's like, girl, you don't know everything. And that's absolutely fine. Um, you're going to make mistakes. And that's totally cool. Um, you know, especially with with just getting people on board. That's, that's been really difficult because I don't, you know, I my goal is to have people of color run it, right? Like I want mm-hmm. all of us to be in it. I want you know, I don't, <laughs> this is, this is nothing. Like, yes, girl, FUBU. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, and, and we are the people that need it the most, right? Like our voices haven't been heard. Right. Um, so I think it's more important that I amplify those voices by giving you a seat at the table, a table that you very well deserve. And that that's your table, girl. Like <laughs> so, mm, snaps you know to you, girl. <laughs> yes, girl. Like that's, that's, that's definitely what we need. I don't, 
I always feel like in corporate, like in my corporate setting that I don't really, and it's, it's nothing against, you know, my, my peers or whatever, but it just feels like I don't really have a voice because I always have to juggle between like the eggshells of corporate, like policies, right? Like I can't really fully like tell you, yo, that's wrong. Cause then it just seems like I'm out of place or something like that's what you want to say you're like well I kind of disagree because <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh my like, god there's a whole conversation we can have about that <laughs> yeah code switching is not fun and I don't it, it's like, not just, fun. <laughs> just because I speak differently doesn't mean that I can't you know speak like I can articulate things uh but yeah. that's the goal the essential goal is to is to to give the voice to to people that actually have a voice and that are doing it well like I think I think you know the fact that we have to work twice as hard even not even like way more than that means that we're far more capable of succeeding right because the fact that we're going through all these hoops that have been set into place and we're killing it regardless girl we're kings and queens like (laughs) like I just oh girl for real like the hundred percent yeah we kings and queens we really are um, i love that girl i love go check out glazed skin right that's what it's called yeah and you're you're girl i see you everywhere on ig you be oh. popping on ig but <laughs> Thank you. um i definitely am big i didn't have a skincare routine until i was a senior not even i like barely got a skincare routine like two years ago <laughs> like no lie and i did not wear sunscreen which bit me in the ass after but you know like all these things where i'm like yes our community needs this needs the education needs the products needs all of it they need you so thank you Thank you. Thank you for coming on, talking about all the things that you're doing, telling us your story too, and representing Bolivia. Like I am so amazed by you. And so I want to close this this conversation with my favorite part. It's like the beginning and the end are always my favorite because it's so powerful. But I want to close this and ask you um, what you want to manifest for our Latino community. So we're going to close with the brindis with our cafecito. <laughs> um, yeah, which I know is different for a lot of people, but <laughs> brindis <laughs> with the cafecito. Um, and what do you want to manifest for, for Latinos, for our community? Ooh, I want to manifest a lot of self-love. I think that we are extremely strong, dedicated, resilient. By That is unquestionable. Like that's what we are but we just need to practice a little bit more self-love and a little bit more more caring for ourselves because we tend to be super giving. <laughs> like I have never met a Hispanic Overly giving. Yes. I have never met a Hispanic person that isn't giving, that isn't loving, right? And that puts people always above them. Um, so I think I think it's time to put some love into ourselves back, into our community, into our lives. And that will that will definitely definitely help us out in the long run Mm, cheers to that salud salud y'all but wasn't that just the most dope conversation (laughs) hugs to my girl ale and muchisimas gracias to you for tuning in connect with alejandra on ig at glaze skin find her on linkedin and check out www.glayskin.com. 
Shout out to Ryzen, my sponsor and partner. If you haven't jumped on their offer yet, stick around to listen to Chris Gates, co-founder of Ryzen, for all the details you need to know on how to start your mental, emotional, and spiritual fitness journey. Tune in next week for more Cafecito Enchismen and more Hello Latino Love. Follow me on Twitter at Adalis Jasmine, Instagram at ojasmine with four A's, and find me on LinkedIn. Con mucho amor, tu amiga Andreña. Gente, what's up? This is Chris Gates. I had the pleasure of being Odalis' guest in the Cuba Through My Eyes episode of this amazing podcast. Today, I want to invite you to a free month's membership to my startup, Rise On. Founded by two first-gen Latinos, Rise On is like taking a Zumba class for your mental and emotional health. Our mission is to build humans from the inside out, and we help first-gen folks just like you to grow and to heal. So whether you're struggling with life's challenges or just thirsty for a community to help you grow, Rise On is for you. Every week, we create a space for mindful introspection in community. That's what you get when you mix mindfulness, journaling, coaching, and vulnerable conversations. It's a space to be seen authentically, to develop self-awareness and build inner skills alongside a group of inspiring peers. Our goal is to help you to tap into your own power consistently, to find perspective, clarity, and direction anytime you need it. Over the past two years, we've designed hundreds of experiences for our clients to do just this. These are entrepreneurs and young professionals who trace their roots to some 20 countries. Folks who, despite being brilliantly talented and looking like they got it all together from the outside, are working through some real life challenges. So join us. We'd like to invite every listener of this podcast to experience a Rise On membership for free for an entire month. That includes our weekly Rise On sessions, live and online, plus on-demand mindfulness content and daily community support. To activate your free month Rise On membership, visit www.riseon.life. That's R-I-S-O-N dot L-I-F-E. Riseon.life. Mi gente, let's rise on. <laughs>